This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hello, listeners. I'm field agronomist Jay Zilski, and in today's show, I'm joined by fellow agronomist Ashley Storby, Allie Wise, and Josh Schaffner. Today's topic is variable rate seeding in, in soybeans. On, on yesterday's podcast, we had a lengthy conversation about variable rate seeding in corn. And I think along the way, one of the things we, we all agreed on is it seems like there's increasing interest in now variable rate seeding in soybeans. And so I'd um, like to uh, ask each one of you, uh, I'll start out with you, Josh, maybe introduce yourself, your, your geography, and, and tell us about uh, the state of VRS in your area. Uh, yeah, uh, Josh Offner, field agronomist, uh, extreme southeast Minnesota, uh, down in the Bluff Country area. So kind of that, that east of Highway 52, Plainview, south over to the river. Um, you know, soybean VRS, um, you know, a little, you know, still fairly green in the area. Um, uh, it's starting to take place. We're not nearly as many acres or growers doing it with soybeans as there is corn. Um, however, I think there'll be a lot more interest after uh, the podcast show today. Thank you, Josh. And Ashley? Ashley Storby. I am located just south of Albert Lee, Minnesota, and I go north to the Faribault area, west over to New Richland, Wells area, and east near Austin, Claremont area. Um, yeah, similar to Josh, soybean VRS is, is fairly, you know, still in its infancy in my area, not near the, the uptake as what we see in corn. But I expect that to evolve over the next few years um, and, and become of, of more interest to our customers as we continue to educate on what we're seeing in the, in the potential for utilizing soybean VRS technology, some of our own soybean VRS technology. Um, so subject to change, Jay. Well, thank you, Ashley and Allie. Yeah, Allie Wise. So my territory starts west of 52, and then I go on over west to Austin and then I remain south of the interstate. But similar to what you're all describing here, I think I'm having an increasing number of discussions around uh, folks that are able to utilize planners uh, with variable rate seeding capabilities. And then more and more operations seem to be just starting that conversation around what that could look like on the soybean side of things. Um, but I think just keeping that goal in mind to increase yield and then just really maximizing the value of our seed investment. Well, thank you, uh, Allie. And I'm Jay Zielski, field agronomist here in North Mankato, Minnesota, and the geography I cover here is South Central Minnesota. It's the counties of Nicollet, Sibley, Leesur, Scott, um, McLeod, and Carver counties. And, uh, you know, I think on our podcast talking about uh, corn VRS, and they, we pr- probably, and generally, we saw probably about 30% of the growers um, are utilizing VRS technology when corn. You know, when it comes to soybeans, uh, I think Ashley put it very well, saying that we're kind of in the infancy stage. Uh, you know, I would say it's, it's less than 1%, but it seems to be, as I've been meeting with growers over the course of the winter, kind of some gaining some momentum. And we'll talk about some of those reasons as far as some of those agronomic issues. That, you know, me being the oldest agronomist on the team, maybe it's interesting to provide just a little bit of a historical perspective. And, you know, I started with Pioneer in the early 90s. And, you know, it's interesting when you think about the seeding rates we were using back then, you know, pretty much the standard corn seeding rate in 30-inch rows was at least 160,000 seeds per acre. And it was very common. We had a lot of people uh, using uh, drills and, and no-till drills. And, and in case, you know, 
some cases in, in those drill situations, we were probably pushing 180 to 200,000 seeds per acre, which is just kind of mind-boggling when, when you think about how things have evolved over the, the, over the years. And I think there's a, a number of things that have driven that, and, and, and that's part of what today's podcast is about. But as, as we look over the years, probably those seeding rates have probably declined by about 2,000 seeds per year on average. And uh, there was a, uh, a survey done by uh, Pioneer back in 2017, and, and one of the things they found in 2017 was that the average uh, soybean population then was about 150,000 seeds per acre, and, and I suspect maybe things have changed some since then. So, you know, I think what I'd, I'd like to do is, is maybe kind of go around the, uh, around the horn here, and, and maybe each of you could provide your perspective as far as you know, what the current average seeding rate is in, in your area. And, and what's driving growers to consider VRS soybeans? And so, uh, Allie, you know, you're there down in southeast Minnesota. Gosh, I love the bluff country there and some of those river valleys with those great trout streams. Uh, what can you tell me about your seeding rates down in that part of the world? Yeah, so I think if I look at average seeding rates across the area, if I'm talking about a treated acre in 30-inch rows, I think it's pretty easy to say that we're sitting right around that 140,000 uh, seeds. But if I consider maybe operations that I have been working with on some specific variable rate prescriptions on the soybean side of things, I'm definitely seeing that average come down a little closer to that 130,000 range. Um, and I think there's room to even push that down a touch farther, but just exciting to see where maybe where that, that will go in the future. But in terms of what's driving growers in my area to consider VRS, I think one thing I'd like to point out as I'm having these conversations we have a lot more yield data uh, from years past, and I think when we look at maybe soybeans compared to corn, it's really important to have um, a lot of data and that very clear understand, understanding of past year's yield maps uh, to really understand where are my high and low yielding areas within that field, what are some of those agronomic considerations I need to, to put into play to really find that. Um, I'll call it agronomically maybe optimal seeding rate. And one thing specifically on the agronomic side of things in my area would be looking at where are those areas that we really need to start ratcheting back our seeding rate um, to help ourselves overcome that heavy white mold pressure that we can tend to see um, in years. So I think on the white mold side of things in fields that maybe vary within their white mold pressure, uh, just lowering those stands in those white mold zones um, but then maybe maintaining some higher stands um, in the rest of the field is how we're starting to really maximize yield across that whole field. So, Allie, what I like to, in your comments, especially just you mentioned uh, growers establishing a clear understanding where those high and those low yield zones are before they begin to work on uh, some of those VRS prescriptions and, and certainly a, uh, mentioning a white mold as well. Ashley, how about you in, in, in your territory? What are you seeing well, I would echo Allie's comments on my, my average is right around that 140,000. There's a little bit of drilled beans here and there, so that population is higher, but for the most part, we're in 30 inch rows or narrower and seeing that average 140,000 seeds per acre. Um, lots of interest in managing white mold in my area. That would be our Achilles heel for high yielding soybeans. So looking at varying that rate within a field to manage white mold specifically is something of interest to our customers and we're continuing to ask what that what that most optimal white mold management looks like and when we think about white mold in in our area we don't want to sacrifice 
planting date, which would be one thing that we could do. We could push back that planting date so we don't have as much vegetative growth. Um, we could apply a, a foliar fungicide a couple times during the growing season, but that can get expensive. Um, you know, we have great, great tolerance in our soybeans. However, you know, it takes a, a multiple, multiple efforts to, to control white mold in our area of beans, how aggressive that it is um, with the inoculum that we have in our soils from multiple years of white mold issues in some of these farms. So looking at managing the, the seeding rate on our, our white mold acres is of number one interest. And I think that's what's going to drive in my area, the adoption of soybean BRS. Um, but really sitting around that 140,000 seeds per acre currently. So thank you, Ashley. And you know, I think it's it's interesting that you mentioned that as part of a, you know, the uh, seeding and, and variable rate seeding as part of a integrated approach to managing white mold. And it's one of those things when I have conversations with growers, it's, you know, what single thing can you do to uh, um, eliminate white mold on your farm? And, uh, you know, uh, I say, well, safest way would just be to not plant beans. But if you're going to plant beans, it takes an integrated approach. And, and you mentioned several other factors as well, in addition to uh, soybean seeding rates. Josh, in, in, in your area, you know, as, as I was driving over uh, your part of the world uh, last summer, I think one of the things I saw uh, was a significant amount of a lodging in your area. It seems like you get a lot of growthy beans there. I don't know if that's, if, if that's what's driving some of the interest in VRS in your area. But, you know, kind of help, help me understand what's driving VRS in, in your neck of the woods. Yeah, that's that's definitely a, a common denominator. As you go east, uh, corn and soybeans get tall. That's just uh, part of the environment. <clears throat> and um, yeah, one hundred forty thousand is still gonna gonna cover everybody. The guys that are above that, or in most cases, the no-till drill guys, uh, the guys below the one forty, are you know maybe having some newer planter technology and, and good row units and in thirty inch rows. We're bringing that down. And um, yeah, the interest in VRS, you know, certainly white mold. Um, you know, white mold and sustainability are probably you know, two of the biggest challenges we, we faced as we get closer to the Mississippi River. And uh, and I think VRS has some opportunity to, to open some, some doors there to try to help manage that. And uh, we'll kind of go through some of those agronomic factors here as the show continues. Yeah, thanks, Josh. And as I look at my area and, and kind of echo the thoughts of, of each of you, and certainly right now, kind of the, the average typically is probably about 140,000 seeding rates. You know, we have uh, some similar challenges to, to each of you as far as white mold, uh, but we also have a neat additional challenge in our area as we get into the area of the Des Moines lobe of the uh, glacier uh, that we have some high pH soils, alkali soils, where uh, there's a lot of VRS interest in uh, where we have iron deficiency chlorosis on some of our alkali acres. And, you know, that being actually looking at increasing uh, some seeding rates to help overcome some of the challenges associated with iron deficiency chlorosis. And so we'll maybe go uh, in that a little more detail later and I can kind of share some of my thoughts as far as how aggressive we, we get as far as uh, populations in, in those situations. But uh, again, uh, you know, kind of a lot of similarities here as we, we go around the horn. And so we, we've done a good job of, of talking about uh, some of the things from an agronomic perspective. Josh, maybe you can share a few things as far as uh, whether it be planter technology and, and some of those things. You know, I gave that historical perspective earlier. And one of the things I thought about is, is the old metering systems we used to have with the old John Deere Maximerge planter, uh, those uh, bean cups we had, I used to refer to them as the roulette wheels because it was a very imprecise way of, of, of metering seed. And we've come a long ways uh, since then. And we have some additional tools as far as seed treatment. So maybe if you can provide a little bit of an overview relative to things that you've been seeing with the latest planter technology and also possibly some, some things about soybean seed treatment. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll maybe. Um, I don't want to take all the all the topics here, but um, you know, the planner technology. I mean, obviously, we need the technology to even get into the VRS world of soybeans, and 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 that has really sped to market here the last, I'd say, five years, and specifically the last two or three. And you know, one thing I I got a little curious last year, Jay, around. Um, the spacing of soybeans and it's kind of a i'm going to get to give a little story here i don't want to be long-winded but uh, i did a little project with an ffa uh, down in harmony south of town and and we went out as a project we got into groups of five and we did a, a soybean yield estimate and jay that's it's not something you know even the four of us do very often it's not a practice that that people go out and and measure bean estimations very often. Very often we do it with corn all the time but we got cool apps to help us with that and other things which makes it kind of fun but the part that was really interesting when, when we got all done, you know, our yields ranged from, you know, it, we did five checks in a very tight area within a, you know, basically a two acre space. And the checks ranged, Jay, from 95.8 to 41.7. And I, and my first thing was, well, did we do that right? So I instantly went around and I kind of looked at each sample of, you know, what was the difference and really what it boiled down to, Jay, um, the high yield checks had really nicely even spaced plants and the other ones had you know kind of clusters of three which you think of current planter technology especially maybe if you're outside of the speed tube that's kind of how they tend to land they kind of get dropped in pods of three and, and you, you don't get that that really picket fence spacing that we get with with corn and you know, and i think it's something we'll maybe talk about as the show goes on more but you know that planter technology in spacing is maybe something we never had the technology to accomplish that where now we do uh with some with some planter technologies but i think as we move forward as that technology gets on more farms i think the variable seeding and soybean spacing is going to be critical for managing you know seed costs and for managing um you know yield and, and driving it along the way yeah and it's interesting josh because i think one of the things is is, is i've looked at some of the research done on on vrs and, and soybeans and I think one of the things that they find interesting is that, you know, where we, we don't have as uniform plant spacing, it seems like our uh, plant mortality or attrition over the course of the growing season from what the established stand was to the final stand is, is greater where we, we crowd those plants. I think that makes a, that makes a lot of sense as we look at VRS in, in soybeans and and Ashley and, and Allie, any other factors in addition to that that, that you think are, are also uh, kind of at work as far as driving some of the interest in VRS in your area beyond some of those agronomic concerns? Well, I think Allie touched on it on it earlier, you know, managing, optimizing that, that input. Um, you know, as we look at our margins right now, there isn't any room for error. And if we can provide a recommendation or if our customers can secure a recommendation for that optimum seeding rate specific to management zones within a their particular farm, their particular farms, then that's that's one step closer to you know, optimizing that seed investment um, in a in a climate where you know we're charged to do just that. And I think too, just echoing off of that, I mean if we look at maybe the the opportunity to lower seeding rates in some of those more highly productive type of areas. Um, when I talk about lowering seeding rates too, I just want to make sure that the seeds we are dropping there, that we're protecting those as best we can so that we're not dropping too low to the point that we're um, hindering yield. So I think just the adoption of seed treatment across areas for more successful stand establishment through some of these more maybe challenging grow growing environments we've been, we've been working through um, certainly factors in here as well. 
Allie, I think that's an, an excellent point because I think it's one of the starting points I have as I begin to visit with growers as far as, okay, you know, as you get, you know, the more aggressive you get with uh, adjusting your seeding rates, the more important it is that you are protecting that seed investment with a, a seed treatment. I think one of the things that we've seen over the years is that, you know, the, the advantages to those seed treatments from one year to the next might vary over time. In some years there's a, a, a large benefit, some there's maybe a very little benefit from seed treatment as far as yield. Overall, over a period of years, uh, people are going to come ahead on that investment. But one of the things that's been consistent year in and year out where folks have been using those seed treatments, whether it be university research, pioneer research, or others, is that they always have more successful stand establishment where we're using uh, the, the, the fungicide and insecticide seed treatments in, in soybeans. And so, yeah, thank you very much. And for your for your comments and you know as i said at the outset yesterday uh josh we were talking about variable rate seeding in in corn and and so as we look at soybeans it ends up being a little bit of a different philosophy as far as how and where we adjust those uh seeding rates uh, why don't you kick it off as far as in talking about how do we establish those those management zones where we do where do we goose the populations up where do we take them down kind of walk us through that uh, and then we'll kind of go around the horn as far as uh, get some insights from from uh, Allie and, and Ashley as well. Yeah, Jay, your comment of it, 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 you know, it's maybe not as simple as being the opposite of corn, but it kind of is in a lot of ways. And and especially where I'm at in southeast Minnesota, um, you know, a lot of our, our areas where, you know, the, the field is laying good, maybe just dips a little bit lower in good drainage. That's usually where we, we really get some of those, those um higher yields, but that's also where we tend to see white mold the most, especially to the east. And and that's where we're going to do the absolute soybeans. We're going to try to bring that population down, maybe as low as 120, maybe as 100, maybe even 90,000 if we got some farms that have just a really nuclear history of white mold. Uh, so those are some things too. And then um, you don't have a lot of light ground, um, Jay, or a lot of sandy knobs, but you know, certainly those are areas, or, or even if there's some eroded knobs that don't yield very good, that we might bump that population. And and there we're just limited, you know, the, the in, historically though, the plants don't get very tall. So if we can push population, we can get more nodes and more pod count per square foot by just having more plants out there. But those are some of the, you know, simple things we're looking at. There's some other factors we might look at here and there too. But uh, a lot of cases where I'm at, those are going to be the two things we're really going to look for and that we're going to target with VRS soybeans. So Josh, how high would you go on the high side then? So you have some of those... Yep eroded knolls or more challenging less productive areas of the field so how how high are you going to push the population in those kind of spots yeah we're, we're playing with that a little bit but in most cases we're going to bump probably at least uh, 175 or 80,000 in some cases we may go a little bit above that um, but it's gonna it's gonna be a big swing where we, we could be swinging you know potentially on a farm that's got those really low areas of white mold and maybe some knobs that are, are really you know clay and not very much organic matter you know, we may be jump. We could have eighty, hundred thousand swings potentially, uh, much bigger swings than what we talk about in corn. Where we were, you know, we're like, oh, maybe two thousand, you know, or three thousand. These are going to be. You're going to take a big swing with soybeans. It's not going to be a, a small level, but uh, and there may be a break in between there. You know, maybe as you're coming in and out of that, uh, there might be a population between those two. But uh, going to be some pretty big movements in overall populations. So, uh, Ashley, how about, how about you? Tell, tell me in your areas you're working with folks, well, what do you think the, the top end is as far as how high you're going to push those populations? I think earlier on you said kind of the grower standard in your neighborhood is about 140,000. So, 
some of those lower productivity areas, how high are you going to push the population and, and how, how low are you going to go in some of those um, highly productive areas or areas prone to white mold? Each year, Pioneer produces um, what's called an agronomy sciences research summary book. And it's a national publication. It, it's really, really nice, very dense. You know, it's not as locally focused as what our local publication is. But it's really, really nice. And last year, there was an article published called Soybean Seeding Rate Past, Present, and VRS Future. And this is a, just a really nice article that brings together some research that was done um, in collaboration with a, a bunch of universities and brings in a whole lot of historical data. So I'm going to answer your question, Jay, in reference to this article. Um, so this article took, took studies from 2005 to 2017 in seeding rate with soybeans across 12 states, across our soybean growing area in the United States, and then up into Canada a little bit. And so that ended up being about 20,000 individual data points of soybean yields. And they were able to actually capture across all of those sites some agronomic factors that we would care about when we're sifting through soybean data. So they had their, the soil pH, the organic matter, um, classification of productivity of that particular soil, water holding capacity, and then weather data from that growing season. And, and that was all pulled into, into then like environments. So you could take all of those data points and then say this cluster was pretty much you know, very similar growing environment, similar soils, um, and, and they broke that into three different clusters. And within those clusters, they broke it out into high, medium, and low yielding plots. Um, with the top 30% representing the high, bottom 30 representing the low, and then that middle 60 representing the average. Um, and, and from that, they extrapolated optimum seeding rates, the agronomically optimum seeding rate, and, and gave us some, some density or, or um, you know, a resource to reference when answering that question of how high am I going to go in that low yielding part of the farm and how low can I go in that high yielding farm? At least a benchmark to start. And throughout the article, it's, it's reiterated you know, these are recommendations, but you need that local knowledge to refine um, farm by farm what that recommendation is. So what they came up with was on an average in our high yielding parts of the farm, we need to back that seeding rate off by 6%. So if in our area, you know, the 140,000 is, is mostly is our, is our predominant seeding rate. So if we back that off by 6%, that looks like 132,000 seeds per acre. And then in the low, the, the data showed that we should ratchet that up more than we should bring back the high. So that, that recommendation was to increase our seeding rate in the low yielding areas by 19%. So that would end up being about 166,000, a little over 166,000 in the low by that math. But then, you know, we, we have a tool that incorporates this, um, this philosophy that's available to our, our reps, that's available to our customers. And within that, you have the opportunity to set what you want your average to be, but also how low and how high you're willing to go. So you can play with that by far, but it's a nice base to build from. Well, thank you, Ashley. You kind of stole my thunder because I had jotted down here. I did all the math as well. I came up with those same numbers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad so, our math matched. And, and, you know, and, and so, you know, Ashley did a nice job of, of plugging the tool. And we'll maybe talk about it a little bit later as far as Corteva Fields VRS. It's something uh, free that's available uh, to, to growers. And, and the additional factor uh, that plays in as well is you're able to establish you know, what your, your yield goal is on, the, on that particular farm or field as well. And so, uh, Ashley, and, and so what you're saying based on some of that information would be 100 and 
131,000 as far as the 131, 132 on the low end, and about 166 on the high end, given again that your standard free area is about 140,000 seating rate. So thank you, Ashley. And, and Allie, what about uh, you down in White Mold country? Well, so like Ashley mentioned, I mean, all the information she just walked through is feeding the tool Corteva Fields that we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, I actually just pulled up a field, um, just a really highly productive in general acred field, a lot of silt loam um, on this particular field that's going into soybeans this next year. And I was just curious to see how our tool broke out some of these seeding rates. And, and certainly as we're creating this Rex, it always comes back to the grower standard as well. So we have all of our back end yield data here, but I always like for a customer to, to take a peek at this because he knows his fields better than anyone to, to identify, oh, maybe we're a touch too low in this area or a touch too high. But um, in this particular example, 10% um, of this field actually goes down to a, to a stand of 110,000. Um, so even though that is making up a lower portion of that field in terms of seeding rate, um, it's not out of the realm in some of our recs for us to be sitting closer to that 115, 120,000 as the low. I think in terms of the high, um, a lot of my recs, I'm not probably pushing any higher than 170,000 in some of those uh, maybe, maybe lower uh, production type areas. But I do just find that the more information we have on maybe some of these lower production areas in either a white mold situation or highly productive um, areas, it is intriguing to just continue to um, wrap our minds around what that, that bottom is ultimately going to look like as we continue having more observations of variable rate seeding um, across areas. But but Jay, I'd like to get your take. Maybe it differ, differs completely different from what we're Well, all, thank you, we're Allie. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that I just want to uh, touch back to that you mentioned was uh, the uh, you know, with a VRS recommendation, have a, a grower ground truth it. And I can't stress that enough. Anytime I visit with any of my sales reps or others who crop consultants and others who are working on making variable rate seeding recommendations with a grower, the best variable rate seeding recommendation is the one that is generated and then ground truth, so to speak, with the grower based on his experience on, on his farms and his fields. And they had a great example the other day where I was working on a VRS recommendation with a grower, and it had uh, some very high, uh, higher populations uh, right adjacent to his, his, his trees and his windbreak on the farm. And because it had been low yields over the years. And the reason it's been low yields over the years is because he had white mold problems there. And, and again, consequently, you know, those are some of the things that the models, no matter how good the models are, they can't, uh, they can't factor in your personal experience as a grower on, on those fields. And so, you know, looking at, at, at my geography, and, you know, I, I think oh, we have quite a bit of concerns for, for white mold. Uh, you know, I'm kind of in a similar spot to Josh where I'm thinking, okay, on the low end, I'm kind of like 110, maybe 120, uh, and, and drop dead lowest, in my opinion, is uh, 100,000. And, and kind of the reasoning that it factors into my, the logic that goes into that is, you know, uh, on, on a seed tag for bag of beans, it's 90% germ. Okay. And the vast majority of the time, uh, it's actually better than that, but that's kind of the standard in the industry. And uh, if you're dropping 100,000 and you actually do have a 90% uh, seeding uh, uh, germination, 
then you're down to 90,000 seeds per acre. And you know, think back to historically when we're trying to make replant decisions on soybeans. Gosh, if if you you know once you start getting below 90,000. Then you start to wonder, okay, do do or don't we need to make some some replant decisions? So for me, I get a little bit goosey going much lower than that. Um, but I know that I've, I have one grower that uh, they're actually going to dabble in somewhere. They're going to go to 90, maybe even down to, to 80,000 as far as their seeding rate, as far as what the prescription is going to be. And, and yet I think one of the things for people to think about as they analyze the data at the end of the year, so that's what the prescription was what did they actually drop? Uh, because one of the growers I worked with last year, you know, their, their prescription was for 90,000, and yet the reality was they were dropping over 100,000 uh, seeds per acre in those situations. So that's kind of a windy answer to the question as far as on that low end. Um, on the high end, um, you know, I, I think you break it down in a couple different categories. If we're looking at eroded knolls and, and sandier soils, we're probably 160 to 170,000. Uh, if we get into our areas where iron deficiency chlorosis is a real challenge, um, 180, possibly even more, which to people in white mold country are going to think you're absolutely insane in 30 inch rows to go that high. And yet, people that know iron deficiency chlorosis, where we have bad chlorosis, white mold isn't an issue because the beans never grow well enough for you to get white mold in those IDC areas. And we've seen experiences over the years where we've worked with uh, some of these um, some of these iron chelate products to overcome iron deficiency chlorosis, and you know they can work pretty well. But the best thing that we saw on some of these plots is where the rows intersected and crossed one another, where we had an extremely high population. That was where we had the absolutely lowest amount of IDC. So again, my area, probably about 140,000 is, is the grower standard. Typically, if we're going to push on the higher end in those lower productivity areas, 160, 170,000 lower end for white mold. Uh, for me, uh, I, I think it's around 100, 110 in those white mold are very highly productive areas, including some peak ground. And gosh, my, my drop dead bottom would be about uh, 100,000 uh, seeds per per acre. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's let's shift gears here just a little bit. And, and Allie, maybe you kind of share, um, you know, where should a grower where should a grower start? You know, uh, and does he do all of his fields? Um, you know, how, how do you how do you recommend? And I think you talked earlier about having a clear understanding of um, your yield environments, uh, yield history in your field. And I kind of share where would you start? Well, I think that's a good question, and similar to how we maybe break out a particular field into A, B, and C type zones. I think you can also look at your total field base across your operation and break those fields into rank them A, B, and C wise. Um, in my opinion, I may be going to start with some of those A type zones. So when you think of an A zone, those highly productive type potential fields, uh, maybe starting there to really see if you can take those fields uh, to the next level. But then on the flip side of that, um, maybe particular growers are looking at a C type field, more rented type ground, um, not maybe knowing uh, quite as much about that field. So just trying to have that anything that can help them just economically optimize uh, what they're putting out in that field. But we've talked a lot about maybe creating recs throughout this entire show, and there's a couple different ways um, that a person could approach that. So it all just comes back to what is your comfortability 
level. So if you were interested in um, setting up a, a free Corteva Fields account, that's where we utilize uh, creating some of these variable rate prescriptions. Uh, I'd recommend just starting by reaching out to your local sales rep. Uh, certainly you're welcome to reach out to any one of us, uh, Pioneer Agronomists, and we'd be happy to, to help you set up your account and then just work through the functionality of setting up some of these recs and all the different tools you can utilize within Corteva Fields. Um, but I think if you're more of a person that you know, you've been creating your own variable rate prescriptions in the past, uh, really like that just self-help type option, you could visit app.fields at corteva.com and that'll walk you through the steps of setting up your account and then you do have the ability again like I mentioned for free uh, to create your own variable rate prescriptions across your acres so different options depending on on what you're most comfortable with. Yeah, thank you Allie and, and, and I like what you mentioned there as far as establishing those A, B, in in c zones and uh, and i give josh and and ashley a heads up kind of want to get their feedback but you know i've been giving that some some thought as well as okay so so what does an a zone look like what does a b zone look like what does a c zone look like and and for me the numbers i come up with in 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 my area is you know i'm going to consider an a zone being something that you know what you have a, a a history of it uh, yield history, say, you know, 60 bushel and above for an A zone, uh, maybe between 50 and, and 60 bushels as far as being that B zone. And then, you know, under 50 bushels per acre being, uh, that would be one of the C zones. And if, if I had to just kind of take a swag at it, that's how I think it might break out. Um, Josh, Ashley, your thoughts on, on what you might use as far as those relative criteria as far as those uh, A, B, and C zones. Yeah, I, I, I'm probably pretty similar. Um, you know, I might add a few bushels onto that that A zone, maybe you know, looking at at 65 or a little, a little above. Um, you know, there's definitely some you know 65, 70 bushel yield potential out there uh, on some farms. You know, it, it's environment sensitive, but um, you know what? Yeah, you know, I think that's going to be my high that 50 to 60 in the middle, and and um, you know where we fight white mold. You know, we're going to find those 35s and 40s and 45 spots of the field that I'm going to really you know, maybe try to target the most and then try to, you know, just smooth and blend those populations across it. But um, that, that's going to cover that. And then um, then the other thing I, I think I'm, when I do talk to a grower about getting this set up, I think one thing I want to do a better job is, Jay, is, you know, we, we talked about, you know, what's that drop dead population rate, but I actually want to spend more time ground truthing, okay, what did we plant versus what did we end up with? Um, I know a couple of years ago, we did stand counts and beans as an exercise with our sales staff. And I, I think, you know, I really didn't want to show the numbers because I thought it was they were way lower than what definitely were a lot lower than what we dropped and nobody you know we walked the stands we looked at it you know visually we're like there's no issues here and we're counting 70,000 80,000 90,000 and and we thought they looked fine just walking them but that's one thing I want to look at and and the other part of um the reason I say that is um Iowa State had that that study on looking at the exact emergence the speed tube and you know probably the best two delivery most highly advanced delivery systems on the market from a a drop standpoint and and even between them there was a a seven percent difference you know i think the exact emerge was 83.8 percent survival rate of all their populations the the speed tube was 77 percent survival rate so my question is then what the heck are the old systems you know if these are are way improved you you kind of wonder you know what is our survival rate and i think some cases where growers have those speed tubes jay we may be able to fine-tune those populations lower and by maintaining that space, it, it might be a big driver. But um, these are things we've got to think about. But I do think the growers that have that 
uh, more highly advanced delivery system have a huge advantage in this whole game of soybean VRS. I think you make an excellent point, Josh, especially as people are beginning uh, with some soybean VRS is to, to ground truth. And earlier I made reference to the fact that a grower I worked with, you know, had his prescription set up at a set uh, at a certain number i think i said it was like ninety thousand, and and yet they actually dropped was significantly more you made an excellent point as far as ground truthing it as far as taking stand counts which stand counts and soybeans are always a little more challenging than than corn you got to count a heck of a lot higher you know to get to a stand count in soybeans but then you know even more so though josh is i'm going to make it even less enjoyable that truly if you're going to get a good sense of it you really should be at they're at harvest taking stand counts in those beans as well because that's where some of the difference, at least what I've been reading, comes in as far as not just that stand establishment, but it's that attrition over the growing season. So that if you take a stand count early in the season, you may, you're going to miss out on some of that uh, compared to taking a late season stand count. So uh, appreciate those thoughts. Uh, excellent uh, points to consider here, Josh, and encourage growers to actually you know get that VRS map and then begin to walk around the field and, and ground truth it to see what you actually had for stands there. Uh, Ashley, any any final comments uh, that that you have? Any any things that you're itching to say before we close out t- today's podcast? Well, yeah. So I I like the concept of breaking breaking your farm, you know, all of your farms into the A, B, and C categories to prioritize where you would begin your adventure with soybean variable rate seeding. Um, when I think about my area in particular, white mold is just such a, a frustrating disease for us, and and, and pretty reoccurring on a, on a two-year cycle um, when we rotate back into those soybean fields that have had challenges. And uh, that's where I, that would be my, my priority would be to go there first because I, I see that being the biggest bang for our, our buck or bang for our effort is managing those populations in those, those farms that have a tendency to have white mold. And then secondly, we don't have a whole lot of um, you know, variability in our, in our soil types within farms here compared to some areas. But that would be the second place I would look, would be a farm that's particularly variable to optimize that seeding rate there, Jay. Um, other than that, the, the last plug I, I wanted to mention is, you know, I, I talked to some of our, our customers about seeding rates, and, the, and they're really thrilled to, to start moving lower and lower and lower. And one thing that makes me uncomfortable with that is some of the, the data that's available on on the ultra-low seeding rates in soybeans come to, comes to us from southern Iowa, central southern Illinois, you know, central southern Indiana, Nebraska, and their environment is so much different than ours, and they get so much more sunlight and so much more of a growing season than we do to establish that canopy and, and that vegetation early and, and set themselves up for, for a higher yielding experience before we, we reach that, that flowering point. And, and I, I just want to cautious us in, in general. That that makes me makes me cautious on, on going too low, and, and we want to reference data to, to lead us there and, and and experiment on farm, but but don't make big jumps without having some information behind it. Ashley, I think that's an, an excellent point because I saw some of that same information as well, that article that you referenced earlier as far as uh, further north in the Corn Belt. You know, it, it's all about these soybean plants are solar collectors. Corn and soybean plants are solar collectors. And we get further now north, it's all about capturing enough sunlight. And, and, and things differ as far as we get to the northern portions of the soybean growing areas compared to the central or southern uh, uh, growing regions as well. And so you know, Ashley made reference to it. I've made reference to it as well. Uh, you know, contact your your pioneer sales rep or uh, your your agronomist as far as that 
2019 um, Pioneer Agronomy uh, resource book. So that's that would be a year old. And most of us agronomists still probably have a stack out in, in either in our garage or our storage closet that we'll be glad to share with somebody because it is excellent, very detailed article. Uh, it, it's written at, at a high level. I always encourage people uh, to have a cup of coffee in hand uh, so they can uh, uh, work through that article. But it is a very, very informative article. So, so that'd be the one thing. The second thing is, and, and Allie mentioned it earlier, you're interested in, in uh, you know, taking a, a step into VRS in a good place to start would be in Corteva Fields and, and Allie mentioned it earlier and I'll, I'll just plug uh, that uh, URL again it's app app.fields at corteva.com and you can establish a Corteva Fields account and uh, uh, by all means I encourage you to uh, you know work with your pioneer sales rep as, as well in in um, working through establishing VRS recommendations for your farm. So I want to thank you for joining us for today's podcast and uh, just like to go around the horn one last time uh, to where you can find us on Twitter as well. So uh, Josh, where can we find you on Twitter? At Josh Offner. Allie. At Allie G-Wise, W-I-S-E. And Ashley. Um, that's a good question. That is at Ashley Storby. Thanks. <laughs> Well, that's, I'm glad you remember your Twitter handle, <laughs> Ashley. And you actually tweet quite a bit, so I'm kind of surprised that you couldn't remember that. And you can find me at SeedZeek. So uh, uh, that wraps up today's uh, podcast. Thank you very much for listening to us. And look for other podcasts from the Pioneer Field Agronomy team in the future. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.